So, Rachel. Yeah? Kirk loses his memory and joins the descendants of a tribe of Native Americans on an alien planet. Oh, we've reached that one, have we? We have. Hmm. Memory lost by a blow to the head, perhaps? Mm -hmm. If he's alone, why? How? An earnest attempt to empathise with the mistreatment of them. Or maybe he'll end up fighting with them against the equivalent of settlers or cowboys. Oh, okay. Or he won't understand why they can't just get along. Right. Browning up or generic brown slash Asian people, Mm. I wonder. (laughs) Yeah. Stereotypes might include their oneness with nature, peace pipes. Uh. I don't know what else. I guess Kirk and the gang will be dressing up. There'll be some kind of comedy button. Spock and McCoy will be there. There'll be a girl in the tribe. Maybe just one. Fear trouble from this one. Mm. We shall soon see. (laughs) Rachel watches Star Trek. Look at those pine trees. And that lake. I swear that's honeysuckle I smell. I swear that's a little orange blossom thrown in. It's unbelievable. Growth. Exactly like that of Earth, on a planet half a galaxy away. What are the odds on such duplication? Astronomical, Captain. The relative size, age, and composition of this planet makes it highly improbable that it would evolve similarly to Earth in any way. <laughs> and yet, we seem to find one every other episode. Yeah, how can they still be surprised by this? <laughs> that is from the Star Trek, the original series episode titled The Paradise Syndrome. And I have got my lovely wife to watch yet another episode of Star Trek on... Rachel watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. And I smell like honeysuckle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, before we get started, I heard this one was pretty racist, and it is, Mm. but for the time, probably not so much. Mm. But for Star Trek, which was pretty racially progressive, I think it shines out as pretty racist. Uh. But we'll talk about that more as we go along. I like it when they switch it up and start on the planet. McCoy's doing some pretty strong show and tell there. (laughs) I just thought to myself, oh, look at that nice lake and those pine trees. And then he just says it. (laughs) Why? I don't know why he says it. Yeah, you know. Say what you see. Say what you see. (laughs) Also, there is still some controversy over what to call people that were in the Americas before white people showed up. I thought Native American was supposed to be the correct term, but it turns out a lot of folks find it offensive. So please know that we're trying to be as sensitive as possible and don't want to offend. But Native American seems to be the least offensive term. We haven't found anything better yet to use. We're trying our best. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, the best friends gang, Mm -hmm. beams down to the planet. They don't actually say the name in the episode. Amerind? Oh. Yeah. Uh, This was shot over at the Franklin Reservoir in Beverly Hills. I thought it was this other place near Topanga Canyon. I guess Southern California has a real look to it that's very consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Good intel. (laughs) Yeah. But this reservoir is also where they shot the opening of the Andy Griffith Show, where Opie and Andy are walking back from fishing. (laughs) Why would I know what that was? Oh. Well, never I, seen one episode, never mind that classic where Opie and Andy were walking back from fishing. Oh, well, I watched a lot. Yep. The theme song is whistling. It's... <laughs> if it's not the littlest hobo, I'm not interested. <laughs> Guess what, Chris? It's another Class M planet. Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, I can't 
Started with founding us like planet. I'm aching for answers, I'm peeing my pants. Let's go and learn everything about it. You realize most planets they will go to will be class M planets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of opportunity for my jingle. They find this big obelisk that's kind of greenish, kind of camouflagey. Yeah. Symbols on it. They built it just for this episode, I found out. Oh, well done. Spock can't scan the thing because it's made of something scanner resistant. <laughs> that's convenient. Mm. He says it's beyond Federation technology. So Spock says they have to leave in the next 30 minutes to stop an asteroid that is on its way to hit this planet. I know this is all about setting the stakes and giving us tension, mm -hmm. but it really annoyed me. <laughs> Kirk says they have 30 minutes, so why don't we just look around? And I thought, what? <laughs> eh? This is going to hit the planet in 30 minutes. Yeah. Things can go wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and know? they will. And they will, of course. Yeah. So he just wants to do this kind of casual, like, have a little nosy. Nosy, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why? For what purpose? Uh, and can't you just do that once you've saved it? Exactly. And why are you here anyway? Just uh. save it. Don't come down and then say in 30 minutes we've got to leave here again and save it. Just go and save it. <laughs> Was it 30 minutes till it hits or we've got 30 minutes to intercept it? Yes. Okay. Because yeah, it, it ends up being a long time of before course. it's gone. I'll talk about the reasoning in a bit when, okay. when Spock explains it to us. And also they could have made up some sort of faux science fiction reason that they had to stay there but just having the characters look around felt very lazy yeah this one was written by margaret Armin, who wrote game series of triskelion and an upcoming episode called the cloud minders oh. she also wrote some for the animated series mm -hmm. one of the few other female writers on the show yeah they must have been using more females than average on this show mustn't they uh, yeah i think so i don't know they find some of the natives of the planet, and they seem to be of Native American descent. In a sort of old-fashioned Hiawatha type of way, in however many hundred years ago kind of way. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spock says it's a mixture of Navajo, Mohican, and Delaware. Classic Spock. How does he know all this stuff? <laughs> Just from looking at them across a lake. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is getting really into how idyllic their lives look, forgetting that they probably have an infant mortality rate of about 48%. Oh, so McCoy sees Kirk getting all gooey-eyed and says, you've got the Tahiti syndrome, which is not a real medical term. but it Oh, isn't it? No, but it means that people who have it all seem to feel empty and unhappy. Oh, McCoy says it's common in overpressured commander types. I liked that. That was interesting to me. Money and power don't buy happiness. That's why we're so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so McCoy seems to think it's more about what you said, that it's about having all these responsibilities and that you can go to this primitive place where people seem to have no responsibilities. Mm. However, I think primitive people had a lot of mother effing responsibility oh, right. because they could die quite easily yeah. if the environment changed, if there was some kind of uh, infection. At the mercy of nature. Exactly. As well as fed by it. Imagine being a parent before even modern contraception, medicine, oh. hot running water, free education, ready-made pizzas, hummus <laughs> and washing machines, Netflix. <laughs> this look at the past, especially the Native Americans with this kind of rose-colored glasses, mm might have been part of the hippie movement of the 60s. Oh, yeah. You know, like I seem to remember there was a lot of adoption of what people considered Native American oh. style was adopted by the hippies, whether or not it was actually really Native American or not. It's still attractive now and perhaps is having even more of a resurgence now to return to a sense of community, go off the grid, be sustainable, organic, attuned to nature, 
mind, body, spirit stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the new aspirational class or elite. I was just listening to the podcast Hidden Brain on NPR. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was talking about breastfeeding, doing yoga, buying organic veg as being the new elite. You can't see the material gains of this wealth, but it is a new kind of oh, wealth. Interesting. And superiority. All right, yeah. Ah. It's a privilege to be able to do those things sometimes. Yeah, yeah, of course, because it requires either time or yeah. money to do yeah. them. Before they beam up, they go back to the obelisk, and Kirk takes one last look and calls up to the Enterprise. When he does, the door opens up underneath him, and he rolls down some stairs into this kind of high-tech chamber, which has more of these symbols on it. He touches a control panel as he tries to recover, and he is zapped by some kind of energy, and it knocks Kirk unconscious. The acting here is something else. Wow. Yeah. It's like performance art. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's really <laughs> just improvised around the theme of being electrocuted. Y- yeah. Wow. And that was the best take, too. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the door closes and Spock and McCoy can't find Kirk. Spock says they have to leave to stop the planet from being destroyed, but McCoy, who is completely insane in this episode, Mm. will listen to no reason and says they must stay there and find Kirk. At the cost of the whole planet? Mm. And if they stop the asteroid, then they can save Kirk too. Pretty sure they're going to save the planet by stopping the asteroid, aren't they? Yeah. Of course, it's a danger to just leave Kirk down there, but... One of them could stay behind, I guess. Or not just one of them. Leave a... you got 400 people up there doing nothing. Exactly. Yeah. It does feel like it's always just down to best friends gang, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They have a whole crew full of people whose duty... Yes. ...is to help in these missions that they're doing right now. Yes. It just occurred to me. It wasn't a choice between either save him now or go and save the planet. Yeah. You could have done both. Yeah. I don't know why they decided to do that in the writing, because they could have just gone, okay, McCoy, you stay here and look around. I guess they didn't want them to interfere with what was going to be going on. Yeah, Yeah. they needed him to be alone in that place without his memories. Yes. Yes. Spock decides that since time is short, he's going to sit and give McCoy an explanation of why they have to leave really, really quickly. When he's in command, like you said, anyway. Yeah. He can just order him to get up there and go. Yeah. But he takes these two rocks and he says, well, here's the asteroid and here's the planet. And if we intercept it at this point, just a slight alteration of the course will be easy to do. But the closer Mm. it gets, the less of that slight degree of change will make a difference. Oh, right. Yeah. So we have to do it immediately. Yeah. It even says in the time that it took me to tell you this, (laughs) it's moved from here to here. It's like, why did you bother telling him? Yeah. It was a really bad demonstration with the two rocks. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't make any sense that in the time he took him to tell him, it had moved half the The distance. It's obviously exposition for the audience, but it's very clunky. And of course, they beam back to the Enterprise. Kirk wakes up and we hear his internal monologue done in voiceover. Yeah, that's never been done before. Where am I? What place is this? One of these. I feel I should know. They're familiar and yet unfamiliar. How did I get here? Who am I? Try to remember. Yeah, I don't think they've done that before. And it feels very weird. Agreed. Which is just one of the many elements. First, it was the performance art electrocution thing. And then this kind of monologue. And he's really hamming it up in this, too. Yeah, yeah. Who is this person? It's very strange. He looks at his phaser and communicator, but he doesn't remember what they are for. So he has amnesia. Amnesia. 
Oh, that's a good drag queen name. <laughs> <laughs> he goes up the stairs and comes out of the obelisks, and some native women are there, and they see him emerge. Uh, these are browned-up white ladies in black wigs. Yeah. The whole episode is browned-up white people. I don't know. Some of them might have had other heritages, mm, but they certainly not these women. The women kneel to him and think that he is a god. <laughs> Of course he's going to be worshipped. Why did I not get that one right? <laughs> so back on the Enterprise, Scott, still with his comb-backed hair, yes. is warning Spock, who's now in command, that he's pushing the engines too hard. Scotty's flapping about it, comedy style. <laughs> Spock stresses that if they don't get to the deflection point in time, the asteroid will be inoperable. You get how this works, right? They're initially trying to push it off course before it gets too close and it's pulled in by gravity. Sort it's of. It's more about the angle. It's is more it? about the angle, yeah. Mm, you don't have to push it as much when it's further away. Right. What if it hits somebody else's planet? Well, I guess that there's a bunch of other planets that are too far away for it to matter. Hmm. So on the planet, Kirk is brought back to the tribe's elder, Goro, and the medicine man, Salish. Kirk doesn't remember anything. So he's just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Hmm. Salish says that Kirk needs to prove himself a god. Goro says the legend's prophecy that one will rouse the temple spirit and make the sky grow quiet. Kirk has no idea what he's talking about. Me neither. Storms? Yeah. So while they try and figure out what's going on, a boy is brought in who is drowned. The medicine man, Salish, says that the kid is dead, but Kirk somehow instinctually remembers CPR and revives the boy. <laughs> finally! Finally! Someone's doing CPR. <laughs> Partway into season three. Yeah, I know. But no chest? Pumping his legs? Yeah, I remember in the older version of CPR that we would breathe air to put oxygen in the blood mm. and then you would move the legs to pump the blood into the body. Wow. I guess it must have worked a bit, but not as much as what they came up with next. Of course. Kirk says it's an old technique. It goes way back and then he just kind of forgets where he knows it from. Mm. The elder says Kirk is a god who breathed life into the dead and Salish the medicine man's headband is taken from him and given to Kirk. Salish is pissed. Oh, that's cold. He'll get revenge for sure. <laughs> it would take a while to embroider a new one, though. Yeah, it's true. He can't just keep it for his memory box. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than a doctor lanyard, though. These days it's more sanitary. Yeah, it's I know true. they've switched to sort of ID cards clipped to the pocket now, but what about an ID card on a headband? I think that's a brilliant idea. Thank you. <laughs> I want to see that enacted. NHS, that's yours for free as a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Enterprise, which has now reached the deflection point, Spock wants full power to the deflector, but Scotty warns that it could blow out the whole system. The system isn't doing well because they had a hard journey there. Lots of decisiveness from Spock. The system, of course, isn't up to snuff, and the asteroid is not moved enough for proper deflection. Spock has the Enterprise move in front of it and keeps ahead of the asteroid. They are going to wait until the systems are repaired and try again. McCoy is chewing Spock's ass out the whole time, and for the life of me, I don't know what he expected Spock to do instead of what he was doing. Yeah, what is this phrase, chewing someone's ass out? What's that come from? I... That's... Don't know. A lot, isn't it? That's I have to... Really visual. Check that one out, yeah. I chewing don't... it out. Spock's very good under pressure. I suppose he's used to suppressing all his own emotional messages, so he can use that to tune McCoy out, I guess. But just wait for the second to last episode of the season, McCoy, then you'll get it. <laughs> We've had to jump ahead to that because of the BBC America Spock yes. Marathon. That episode will be up. Next week? Next week, yeah. So you'll be able to hear that episode if you want to jump ahead. Or you can just wait and get it in the normal feed. 
So back on the planet, the daughter of the chief, Miramani, meets up with Salish by the lake. Salish tells her that she should be working on his wedding cloak. And she says, I'm not going to marry you anymore. And he says, but we were engaged. And she says, look, I have to marry the medicine man and you're not him anymore. Then he says, well, would you marry me if you didn't have to marry him? And then she just walks away. Burn. Double burn and double revenge. (laughs) Meanwhile, Kirk is whittling out a gourd. (laughs) (laughs) Little arts and crafts, you know. (laughs) Mira Manny brings Kirk some clothes of her people and has a hard time trying to figure out how to get his clothes off. (laughs) Kirk must be really out of it if he can't get his clothes off for a lady. (laughs) (laughs) He asks her about the obelisk and she's like, you're a god, don't you know everything? And he's like, not this god, baby. Does he think he is one? Why doesn't he correct people? I don't think he knows. He doesn't know what's going on. There's quite a lot of standing in corners looking off into the middle distance, wondering <laughs> what's real and what's not. It's not a very strong Shatner episode, no. generally. Yeah. She says the gods brought them there long ago and appointed a medicine man to keep the secret of the temple to use when the sky darkens. The secret was passed down from medicine man to medicine man, but Salish's father died before he could share the secret. Oh, triple burn! Yeah. Poor guy. He's a medicine man who doesn't even have this essential knowledge. No. Maybe just tell your kid quite early on. Don't yeah. leave it. Don't wait. Or have an assistant medicine man. Yeah. So if something does happen to the medicine man, maybe even before he has a kid, the assistant medicine man can take over. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's really important knowledge. You don't want to lose that. You should come in and save them with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So the elder shows up and asks Kirk, what do we call you? And he starts to say his name, but he can't remember. So he goes, Kirk. Key-rock. <laughs> <laughs> Kirok. He doesn't know his own name. Well, it's amnesia. But he can speak English and he remembers every word that and, he wants to use. And he knows CPR. Well, that might be more of a body memory than a cognitive sure, memory. But Maybe that's different. With amnesia, it's hard to tell what you lose and what you what you keep. So let us know if you've experienced it. How does it affect you? I presume you can still do everything physically that you could do, perhaps, mm-hmm. but not facts and people and memories i think that the idea of amnesia is pretty what hollywood has made amnesia Uh to be and that the reality of amnesia is very different and much more individualized and i think so yeah Mm -hmm. so for some reason which i didn't quite understand is that the elder thinks kirk is angry have we displeased you no no everything's fine and it must be ourselves the way we live Perhaps we have not improved as quickly as the wise ones wish. Your land is rich, your people happy. Who could be displeased with that? But there is something. Tell us. We will change it. I can't tell you anything. All I can tell you is that I'm happy and peaceful here. I'm not sure, but I think I've never felt that way before. Aww. Very sad. But again, I'm taken back to this side of paradise. And it was better when Spock said it. (laughs) It was. (laughs) He's never felt happy. Not since Finnegan, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Things were going so well until then. He's in a leadership role again, even though he doesn't know his own name. More or less pressure than being Captain Kirk. I don't know. He seems to have a lot of free time here to frolic. He doesn't have a lot of frolicking time on the Enterprise. (laughs) Mira Manny caresses Kirk and tells him, here there is much time. For everything. She means sex. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's dramatic irony, though, because they don't have a lot of time left. No. Spock has Sulu use the phasers on the weakest point of the asteroid in an attempt to split it, but it doesn't work and further taxes the Enterprise's systems. Scotty calls the engines my poor Benz. What is that? My poor babies. Oh, <laughs> I thought about the prime directive at this point. Yeah. Should they be doing this? Yeah. Shouldn't they just let the asteroid hit the planet and kill everybody? Hmm. I'm a little fuzzy on exactly yeah. what the prime directive allows and does not allow. So back on the planet, Mira Manny wakes up Kirk, now in native clothing, and says that she's done with his ceremonial robe. They are to be married and Kirk is super into it. <laughs> nice kiss. It's been a while since we've had a good old Kirk kiss. Yeah. Him in his own body anyway, or him, <laughs> his mind in his body. Kirk decides that they're going to get married the next day. And from him, there's none of this, what is marriage? Yeah. What is robe? It could have been a great <laughs> opportunity for him to be the innocent one. All right, yeah. But no, sure. he has to be the expert. So Scotty reports to Spock that the Enterprise's warp drive is done. It can only be fixed at a star base. Ooh. They still have impulse power, and McCoy orders Spock to rest. Whilst constantly criticizing him. But he says that they will lead the asteroid to the planet and have it four hours before impact. Lead yeah. it to the planet? How does that help? Well, I guess they can try and come up with some sort of solution in that amount of time. You say you're leading it, but really you're just following it, going ahead of it, aren't you? You know, yeah. You're not leading it anywhere. No, 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 no. Back to Kirk. Bizarre bit of happy acting where he throws his arms open and then hugs himself. <laughs> Bless, he's actually happy. And he now has sideburns. Yeah, because on the ship, it will take almost two months to get there with Whoa. impulse engines. So McCoy is pissed at Spock and just lays into him again. And I ask you, what did you want Spock to do differently, McCoy? Spock decides to focus on the images of the obelisk and the strange writing on it. Spock thinks that it might have the key to this whole situation that they're in. And McCoy gets racist again and says, another calculated Vulcan risk. Oh, I hate seeing them go backwards like this. So Kirk is getting ready for his marriage with some face paint at the obelisk, and Salish jumps out and tries to stab him. The revenge. He cuts Kirk on the hand, and then he sees that he, he's bleeding, and then he goes, oh, a god who can bleed. Oh. Of course, Kirk just totally kicks his butt mm -hmm. and he decides to let Salish be because he you know, feels bad for him. He says to Kirk, I will not rest until I prove to my people that you are no god. Kirk just blows him off and goes to a ceremony where he gets to put on this sweet feather cloak. Oh, it's really good. That they made for him. Mira Manny and Kirk are married. Spock is still focused on these symbols and he hasn't rested much. And we find out almost two months have passed. What? This is the longest span of time in a Star Trek episode thus far. Huh? He's been in command and not resting for two months. Well, I'm sure he's rested a little bit. But not much. But not much, yeah. Oh, grief. Spock seems obsessed. He's let his self-care go right out the window when he's only just had a total brain surgery. <laughs> I mean, totally removed and reattached. <laughs> what can he do? He has to save Jim and the planet. McCoy comes in and tells him to rest or he will be ordered to and forced to do so by security. So McCoy then kind of apologizes for the stuff he said before while still yelling at <laughs> Spock for not resting. <laughs> it's a classic McCoy apology. <laughs> Spock seems to comply and he goes to lay down and then McCoy leaves and then once he does he just gets back up and goes back to work. <laughs> like a kid <laughs> pretending to be asleep. <laughs> it was awesome. Now we see a shirtless Kirk. Yes. On a top-wearing Mira Manny. Cavor <laughs> top-wearing? Well, she's not shirtless. <laughs> they cavort about the woods. The usual chasing and laughing bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> now I hear the Shatner cadence. I thought you no longer had the dreams. That you no longer saw the strange lodge which moves through the sky. 
they've come back. They were gone for a while, but they've come back. And I see faces, too, very dim. I feel I, I should know, know them. I feel my place is with them, not here. I don't deserve this happiness. <laughs> and she tells him that she is pregnant. I called it. You did. He's super stoked, but we also learn that he is plagued with bad dreams about his former life. Ooh, that's what happens when you go on an extended shore leave. Back at their home, Kirk is showing Miramani how to irrigate and brags about a lamp he made and ways to store food. White savior. <laughs> As they talk, a storm brews outside and Miramani gets a bit freaked out. But since Kirk is with her, she'll be fine. She tells him he needs to make the blue flame come out of the obelisk. But Kirk still doesn't know what she's talking about. Salish and the elders show up and tell Kirk to do his thing, but he doesn't know what his thing is. Kirk goes to the obelisk and just yells a bunch of stuff at it and nothing happens. Salish smiles at this, getting his sweet revenge. He's seen him as a charlatan. When have you felt like this way or when have you had to wing it in your life? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Every day imposter syndrome. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out why you married me. Oh, hey. (laughs) Are you winging it right now? I'm totally winging it right now. (laughs) I've had that recurring nightmare of I'm about to go on stage and I haven't learned my lines, I haven't practiced. Everyone will see how terrible I am and I'll let everyone down. I had one of those recently where it's, I didn't even know what play it was. Oh, I never know. You're just backstage and they're like, okay, are you ready to go on? I'm like, oh yeah, you know, actually, I just want to kind of look at a script real quick. I'm always trying to find a script. That's the whole dream. <laughs> just real quick. <laughs> I want to have a look. Could... <laughs> I'm going to learn a whole play in about two minutes. I also felt like that when I was a teaching assistant, the couple of times I had to teach the whole class because whatever had happened to the teacher. Oh, right. Awful. Terrifying. It's such a skill that you have to already have the personality for it and have to learn how to command 30 unsettled young minds in the case of that school. (laughs) Oh, it was awful. Yeah, teachers are awesome. Thank you for thank you, teachers. doing your jobs. McCoy returns to find Spock rocking out on his Vulcan harp. <laughs> rocking out. <laughs> well, Spock would. He says that he's figured out the symbols and that they are music. Huh. And somehow from that, he's figured out some understanding of the language of the songs. Of course he has. But it never really pays off. Sort of does. choose which button to press. And that's all they need. Uh. The ones who built the obelisks are called the preservers. It seems that they moved humanoid species that were in danger to safer places to protect them from extinction. Oh, they didn't have the prime directive then, did they? No, they didn't. McCoy says that that explains a lot about what they've encountered. (laughs) Too right, he does. Yeah. Strange that this idea is dropped because it does explain quite a bit. Is it? Yes. Oh, for goodness sake. They don't really ever bring it up. Uh, The Preserver Obelisk, the only other time we see this is on the new Star Trek Discovery. Mm. They're showing a bunch of images of different planets and one of the moons of Andoria has got one of these obelisks on. And that's it. That's it. Out of all the planets they go to in all the series. It seems like a super cool idea. Well, maybe they're a bit lazy, these preservers. They had a really (laughs) ambitious plan. They did it a couple of times and just thought, oh, sod it. Forget it. Spock thinks that the obelisk <laughs> is an asteroid deflector, but that it hasn't been working for a while. 
how they know it's not working is not explained. Yeah, and how often are they being pelted by asteroids? What are the chances of that? I don't know. Not very high, unless maybe they're in some kind of weird... Asteroid belt belt of some kind. I don't know. But usually asteroid belts are actually quite stable. Oh. They find their position, the asteroids, oh, and they right. don't really move much from where uh, they are. Little oh, fact. little tip there. Little tip. Also, on holiday? <laughs> <laughs> also, as a kid, I'm a big Star Wars fan, but the asteroid scene in Empire Strikes Back where they're whizzing through and those all the asteroids Ridiculous. are going to... They'd be hundreds of thousands of light years apart. <laughs> <laughs> no. They'd be thousands of miles apart. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got it too small last time. Yeah. I overshot it this time. Yeah. Remember, our galaxy is only 100,000 light years <laughs> from end to end. I don't remember. So back on the planet, the windstorm is going crazy. And I thought to myself, what's causing this? Yeah. Because the asteroid's way too far away to have this kind of effect on the environment. So I thought maybe, is this the obelisk somehow warning the people? Oh. Because it's got, you remember the medicine man, it was supposed to come in and press some buttons. Yeah. That was his job. Because they talk about how when the storms come and the skies darken, because an asteroid wouldn't do that. Once it hits the atmosphere and it starts coming in, or if it blocks the sun, but Mm. still, yeah. You've got this highly evolved technology from the preservers, and you can't just rig it up with an alarm. Or an automated system. Yeah. Why do you need a guy to come in and press a button? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Salish returns with an angry mob and they begin stoning Kirk. Ooh. A lot of people, too. Again, we've got this primitive people so quickly resorting to violence trope. Because the person they revered as a god turns out to not be so. Yeah. Mira Manny goes up to try and protect him, but she also gets stoned. And they don't stop throwing stones, so she just stays up there. Yeah. I don't get it. Kirk only kind of vaguely protects her as well. Yeah. She don't protect him at all and nobody stops. Just then, McCoy and Spock beam down and the villagers run off. Both Kirk and Miramani are knocked out. They revive Kirk, but he doesn't remember who they are. So Spock does his second mind meld kind of thing with Kirk to try and restore his memory. McCoy has Nurse Chapel beamed down. What? <laughs> Good for her. She gets beamed down to a planet. Finally. She's basically just a kit carrier. Well, but still. She tries to help Kirk with his injuries after the mind meld. Which was exhausting for Spock. Spock says his mind. He is... An extremely dynamic individual. (laughs) Kirk gets up and says, it worked. Spock said, Captain, were you inside the structure? And I thought, that's no structure. That's my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Miramani. (laughs) Kirk explains that he got inside, but he wasn't sure how he opened it. He realized it happened when he called the Enterprise. So he reenacts what he did before and it opens. Kirk to Enterprise is the exact music that opens it. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do actually genuinely like that. <laughs> it wasn't just some random phrase. It was something, you know, we've heard nearly every episode. Spock, after doing some translations, hits just one button. A blue beam shoots out of the obelisk and it pushes the asteroid away. Weird. Why have all the buttons? I don't know. What are they for? To trick people so they can't save their planet? I don't know. Do they think they're going to use it as a weapon or something? I don't get it. I don't know. There's a lot of questions I have about this episode. Mm. And unfortunately, I don't think they will ever be answered. <laughs> Kirk goes to the shelter where Miramani is lying. McCoy says there is nothing he can do for her. I love you all. And I love you, Miramani. the first 
Mirror Manny dies. And that's the end of the episode. A very pretty death. Yeah. Originally in the script, Kirk just leaves her and his kid on the planet. But, oh. but that seemed very un-Kirk. Hmm. Though he was an absent father to David. Oh, yeah. So maybe it was more in character than I realized. <laughs> he didn't seem that bothered, considering it was the first time he'd ever been happy. I don't know. It's got to be confusing to have all your regular memories come flooding back and yeah. have all your responsibilities and all those. I don't know. True, but he would still have the ones he had made with her. Yeah, he's not an ugly crier. Not even a single tear, though. No. Come on, get the onions out. <laughs> In case you haven't heard, Rachel and I are hosting a Spockathon. Best of Spock Marathon. For BBC America to be aired the 5th of April at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. In America. Part of that includes Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. So Rachel and I jumped ahead and watched Star Trek 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. We're still going to release the shows in order on the site, but we're going to put up the Star Trek 3 episodes outside of the feed as well as all of our yesterdays. If you want to jump ahead, you can, but if you want to just keep it in the feed, we'll give them to you in the order as they were created head over to bbc america's website to get the links to those shows we'll also post it on our website and our patreon page as well Mm. just for those of you out there i made sure rachel did her predictions before she watched both star trek 2 and star trek 3 so sure those are genuine i did that of my own accord thanks (laughs) (laughs) i'm a professional you are a professional Professional what the spockathon will be the episodes journey to babel the enterprise incident all our yesterdays, and plus Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And there are other episodes before 5pm as well, including the Menagerie Parts 1 and 2, A Mock Time, Mirror Mirror, and more. So please tune in to BBC America, April 5th. All day, but with us from 5pm. Anyway, let's get into our concepts. In his book, Star Trek and History, Racing Towards a White Future, Daniel Leonard Bernardi writes... The Paradise Syndrome stereotypes Native Americans as noble savages and whites as normal and even divine. Hmm. Mira Manny cannot figure out how to pull Kirk's shirt off as she cannot find any lacing. She is portrayed as simple-minded, not that bright, according to Bernardi. This is not the case with Kirk. Moments before, he has fashioned a lamp from an old piece of pottery and saved a boy using mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Despite his amnesia, he is shown as naturally superior. When the aliens realize that Kirk is not a god, they stone both him and Mira Manny. It's the local citizens who are violent in this version of the noble savage stereotype. Mm. Spock and McCoy eventually intervene, but only Kirk survives. In this take on a standard white-red miscegenation narrative, the native girl dies so that Kirk, the white male hero, isn't shown unheroically and immorally leaving her and their unborn baby behind. Wow. Do you think that's fair? I imagine they were trying to portray how an advanced futuristic civilization could help a more primitive one. They may not have realized how problematic it is that they sure. put them as white and Native American. In terms of Miramani having to die, he couldn't have left her otherwise, I guess. But why did she need to be pregnant? Well, I was thinking, doesn't Starfleet have some kind of male contraceptive? Right. You think with the technology that they have, like maybe there would be some kind of chip that you would put in. But I think it was for dramatic loss. Yeah. But he didn't seem that bothered, did he? And Spock has to leave loves of his life all the time. <laughs> he was in awe of them for being so peaceful, which he assumed on zero evidence. Yeah. Later, they became rock-throwing savages. I agree it was ridiculous he was more clever than them, even though he had amnesia to the extent of not knowing his own name. (laughs) Regarding the white saviour, he even emerged from a tomb-like structure witnessed by two women, Jesus-style. Yeah. 
I love the idea of the preservers, but I'm very bummed out that this gets dropped in Star Trek. One of the many super intelligent species out there doing stuff that the Federation can't understand. <laughs> and I kind of love that. Yeah, I guess it takes away their responsibility if someone else has already done it for them. They're going around so-called saving everybody, but they're not the most advanced technology and they don't have all the answers. No. I don't really know what to make of this one. I like the preserver concepts too. Not that it was such a totally banal revelation to yeah. the crew. Pretty hokey them thinking him a god just because he came out of the obelisk. I'm sure they could have made better choices with the amnesia storyline. Mm. Why did the obelisk have to be so secret to use if the protectors really wanted to protect? You did suggest something. Maybe it could have been misused. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was the whole point is that it had other abilities that we don't understand. Or... I'll give it a four. It's nothing fresh or new, really. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to give it a three. Ooh. Entertainment. Yeah. I thought it moved fast. Mm -hmm. It had some interesting ideas, if you can get past the racist stuff and the folks in Brownface. Mm -hmm. It finally shows a bit of the inner struggle with Kirk, you know, responsibility versus freedom. Mm -hmm. It's really sad his wife and unborn child die, but mm -hmm. for the sake of a 1960s TV show, it had to be done. And it was sad it was the only time he could remember being happy. Yeah. Super annoyed with McCoy in this one. Some bad writing that had characters acting irrationally. But I was still entertained. Uh, I wasn't bored, but I got lost a couple of times in what they were doing on the Enterprise. Comedy flapping Scotty was okay. Do you need any more proof that all we did at my primary school was sing weird songs? Uh, no. Yes? No. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard yes. Okay. Okay. Wig wham bam's gonna make you my man. Wham bam bam's gonna get you if I can't. Wig wham bam's gonna make you understand. Try a little touch, try a little too much. Just try a little wig wham bam. What? It had actions too. It just occurred to me bam might mean sex. <laughs> <laughs> might? <laughs> So uh, that was a good one, but I've certainly not made this less racist, have I? Uh, no. No. Not at all. For entertainment, I would give it probably a four. Oh, I'll give it a five. Sexiness. Kirk gets a lady pregnant. Woo! So sex is pretty wrapped up in this episode. But we don't get to see it. <laughs> Lots of kissing, though. Mm -hmm. Shirtless Kirk. Yeah. But the browning up took away from it. Flattering outfits. Bad wig on her. Couldn't they just get a brunette or, I don't know, a Native American? <laughs> Annoying chasing and laughing scene. Didn't quite buy their chemistry, although I did really enjoy the kissing. I'll give it a 2.5 out of 5. All right. Uh, I'll give it a 3. Oh. Yeah. My guess is there was no blow on the head to lose his memory. No empathizing with their mistreatment, no cowboys. Yeah, there was browning up and there was mostly only one girl. Mm -hmm. And there was dressing up and there was Spock and McCoy. But there was no comedy button. And it ended on a sad note. Hmm. So the next episode is called And the Children Shall Lead, if I remember correctly, is like Charlie X, but with a group of kids. Ooh, they're creepy, but they're mm. not a creepy man child. They're not creeping over Rand. No. Good. <laughs> I'd like to welcome some new patrons. Yeah, let's do it. Lieutenant Chris Williams. Oh. New Lieutenant Commander, formerly Lieutenant Greggy. Oh. Thanks for putting up your pledge there, Greggy. And R has increased their pledge. Thank nice. you. And new Lieutenant Commander, John Rowe, welcome. Welcome to our crew. And hopefully you will enjoy trekking with us mm. on the USS <laughs> Rachel <Trinkles>? Prize. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And with that, I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Thank you.
Trek.